something before the show begins uh so when we did our batman begins uh review when we actually did a recording of it we were kind of in a little bit of a rush so when we're doing our introductions and i have three uh, i have two guest hosts there's three hosts in general myself chris maffei and justin cirillo and chris and i got so caught up in our little banter before the show actually like kicks off that we didn't let uh, Justin introduce himself at the head of the show. So it's just like, it's like I introduce myself, Chris introduces himself, and then we jump into the show, and then Justin's like the first person to speak as soon as the show traditionally begins. So I want everybody to be dressed like Justin is a guest host with us. He doesn't just show up in between when we kick off the theme song and when the theme song ends. So I apologize for that. And that's why we kind of rushed a little bit at the end because it was very late at the point when we were doing a review. So sorry if it seems a little rough at the very beginning and, and like how it kind of wraps up. I apologize for that. Regardless, I hope everybody enjoys the review. So Tim from the past, take it away. Welcome to the Anything Goes podcast, the best geek and pop culture podcast broadcast in Long Island, New York. I'm your host, Timothy Rudy. And we are continuing our exploration of the Christopher Nolan filmography. And so we have done his first three movies. We've done following. We've done in Memento and Insomnia. So it's time to break out the big guns because he got a hold of a character that was not in his original creation and elevated it to it. And it was a character that really needed his help because it was the most recent movie before that was eight years prior than a movie called Batman and Robin that was kind of terrible to some people. Some people <laughs> laugh at it now. And so the movie need that that character need to be rebooted. So we came. So Chris Nolan had an idea with David with David S. Goyer. They brought Batman Begins to the big screen. And like uh, every Chris Nolan podcast, I have a certain host with me. Who's with me? I am Justin Cerullo. Well, good to be back, Tim. Yes, and I'm glad to have you here. And we real I realize like if I'm going to talk about the Dark Knight trilogy, I think it's too much for just two people to handle. So we needed somebody else. Who is with us today? Greetings, citizens. It is I, Chris Maffei. Hi! Frequent guest on Anything Goes. Yes. I love doing this podcast. It's always a good time. And I appreciate you being a part of it. And really, anything goes. It does. Really, anything goes. Because we could be talking... We'll be talking about Batman the next minute. Then we'll be talking about John Denver. <laughs> then Who knows? You never know what's going to happen. Yeah, and but like you were also a host of your own show, is our right... Oh, yeah. I'm, a, I'm the co-host of Music of the Mat on the Voices of Wrestling Podcast Network. If you like wrestling and you like music, we got you covered. Yeah. but as, And you can find that on Twitter and iTunes and everywhere else, right? Hey, yeah. Use, people know how to use the internet. They can Music of the Mat, you can find it. I mean, you'd hope that people know how to use the internet. If they found this podcast, you'd hope to God they know how to use the internet. Unless they're just being specifically provided with this podcast by an outside source who is only giving them this podcast. It's a listen. You're not allowed to use the internet. You can't explore it. N- nothing. 
but you got to listen to this. So they have no idea how to find anything else. And in that case, I mean, thank God anything goes here. First of all, where are you? (laughs) Do you need help? What is happening? (laughs) If you can contact us, please try to do so. Yeah. I mean, you may be in danger, although I'm sure whoever has you captive does care for you because they're they're giving you entertainment. They're giving you the best geek and pop culture podcast broadcasting from Long Island, New York. So I I feel like it's a catchphrase there. It's a little wordy. Yeah, I know. And that's why I just <laughs> roll off my tongue right there. But like I said before, and you can see it from the title, we're talking about Batman Begins. So let's jump into that right now. You're part of your bat fandom before you start before you saw Batman Begins. Uh this was this is my introduction uh to Batman. This is the first Batman movie I saw. It will always hold a special place in my heart. Um for that reason. Uh it's the it's two first. It's my first uh Batman movie and it's my first Christopher Nolan film. So um I would say I would put it up there in one of the most important movies that I have seen in my lifetime. Wow. And Chris? Well, that's interesting because I feel like I had just come off of like four, five years of being so obsessed with Batman 66 and, you know, Batman in general, you know, the animated series when it was on TV, um, you know, the Batman Superman cartoon when it was on TV, I'd catch random episodes, but Batman 66 was such the staple for me. Um, and I was, I feel like kind of the tides were turning a little bit and I was kind of turning away from that because it'd been in my life for so long. It'd been, it'd been the big thing I was interested in and watching all the time and obsessing over. And, um, when Batman Begins came out, I don't even think I saw it in the theater. Really? Um, Oh, which which is so weird because I don't even remember being aware that it was coming out, mm. which was like and I, you know, all the the Burton movies I'd seen, the Schumacher movies I'd seen. You know, I, I was a Batman. I loved Batman. If you ask people, what is Chris like? Oh, yeah, he really likes wrestling and Batman and Back to the Future and music. I didn't even I don't even think I was aware. And I was I was 15 years old. What was I do? I don't know. The, hmm. Somehow the marketing didn't hit me, or it didn't re- just it didn't register in me, or maybe I thought, "Oh, that's something else." Right. I have this Batman over here, and I don't know why, but I do remember catching it on TV one day. Hmm. Um, my grandfather was in the hospital, and for some reason, like he wasn't well, he wasn't in the hospital. He was in like this kind of like this nursing facility just temporarily while he was. He's rehabilitating, uh, I believe was his leg or something like that. And I would go and stay there with, you know, my family. We'd come up and Batman Begins came on TV. 
And my grandmother knew I loved Batman. She's like, oh, well, let's watch this. Mm. So I watched Batman Begins in this this rehab facility visiting my grandpa. I was like, holy shit. What? Why didn't I? Why? Why? Do, how did I not know? How did? How could this have slipped by me? So I made sure that I rectified, you know, I paid for my sins when The Dark Knight came out and Dark Knight Rises. Yeah. I've, I've seen The Dark Knight Rises in theaters more than any movie. I think I saw it like five, six times. Yeah, five times for me. Yeah, I, we went to a lot of those together. Yes, we did. So Nolan, <laughs> Nolan Trilogy really brought me back. Mm. Yeah, I started with, you know, as you do when you're a kid with Batman toys and, you know, your little outfits that you wear to bed or whatever. Right. And, and Batman 66. Batman Begins, the Nolan Trilogy, brought me right back in and I've stayed there ever since. And Except for now when I denounce my Batman fandom. Yeah. I'm leaving. <laughs> well, well, Batman fandom has lost another person right there. We, another heathen has gone away. Um, very much like you where I was a Batman fan ever since I was a kid. Now, Batman and Robin, even though like I was very accepting of every kind of Batman movie, there was something about Batman and Robin when I was a kid that was like, you know what? One of these things is not like the other when it came to when it came to the previous uh, three iterations as well as the animated shows that were on TV, and then like Batman the animated show ended, the animated series ended, then you had Batman Beyond, which I was not an initial fan of right away, and so I was like, oh okay, and like Justice League was on, I'm like okay cool, but this is the time when Marvel really started to kick off, and so like with X Men, Spider Man, X Two, and so I became a big Marvel fan, and so and then like you had Hulk in 2003, and I'm like. Oh, well, yeah, uh, swinging the miss, <laughs> and he had Spider-Man two, and I'm like, okay, that's cool. And then 2005, and I remember like seeing a trailer for him, like Batman Begins. I'm like, I'm like, is it? And I didn't know about continuity and everything. I'm like, is it related to those other Batman movies? Like, okay, I guess, I guess so. He's I'm like, had four movies. Yeah, how's he beginning? <laughs> and so I'm like, I was a little unsure about that, and I was sure I was not really in on uh, in on like continuity and things like that. And at the time, it, was, it came out in summer. I remember I was down visiting my family in Annapolis, Maryland. So I went with my cousins to the local movie theater with them. And, like, so much so that I was so unaware of how continuity was with Batman that, like, I always assumed that Joker killed Batman's parents. Not knowing Joe Chill is the one who really killed Batman's parents. So when that happened in this movie, I was like, duh. Oh, this doesn't what? compute. Like, <laughs> this is not right. Why, like, like well, why is he so gravelly? Why is it so shaky sometimes? But, like... By the end of it, I was like, all right, that was really cool, and I'm kind of excited about Batman again. Like, that got me back into Batman fandom. And, of course, like like many people, like you were saying, when The Dark Knight came out, like the first teaser like in 2007 out of San Diego Comic-Con, it was just like, the black screen, and it's just the logo blasting through the, like a black wall, and, just, and it's Heath Ledger's Joker's like voiceover underneath it. And I'm like, okay, I'm excited to see what's going to happen with this, and so on and so forth. And kind of like this was probably other than like, Seeing Insomnia and not realizing that's Christopher Nolan, like, seeing Batman Begins is kind of like, all right, I noticed Christopher Nolan's name for the first time. And I'm like, okay, that's something I'm going to keep an eye on. Justin? Uh, I've got a, a really interesting story about how I did not see Batman Begins in movie theaters. Uh, like you, I was away with my family. I was in Atlantic City. Uh, my mom, my sister, and, uh, my grandparents, and we were kind of just, like, looking for something to do on a summer day, and... Summertime! Sorry. I do. <laughs> Derailment right there. 
Yeah, like, kind of like what happens at the end of the movie. Ha ha! <laughs> I, um, I did that on purpose. <laughs> so my grandfather um, had heard about Batman Begins. I think I had heard about it, but I can't be sure. I don't remember seeing any trailers for it. Right. But I kind of knew that there was a Batman movie coming out. Mm. Um, but that's really all I knew. And I had never seen anything Batman-related outside of maybe five or ten minutes of, you know, the, the 60s TV series. Right. Years and years ago, um, which I didn't fully fully uh, remember. Mm. So, but, but I was like, okay, I'll go see it. It sounds like something that um, interests me. I always wanted to get into Batman, but never really knew... Um, pardon the unintentional pun, but where to begin? Um, so we were going to go see it, and my sister, whom at the time I did not get along with that well, was like, no, I don't want to see it. So everyone was like, okay, really like turned off on the idea after that. And so much so that instead of seeing the Batman movie, I think my grandfather and I went to the cinemas alone, and we just saw um, Revenge of the Sith instead. Because mm. I think I think it was my grandfather's first time seeing it, mm. and I had already seen it, um, but wanted to see it again because it's Star Wars. So. Uh, that's the interesting story, or hopefully I, I hope you all found it interesting, of how I didn't get to see ah. Batman Begins. You can wake up. <laughs> um, and I think a few weeks later, my parents went to go see it. I was not with them, but they just were completely in love with it. And I ended up having to wait until it came out on DVD, which I think happened in November. Hmm. Um, my dad and I watched it on a Saturday night and it was a little confusing the first time I watched it because it's Christopher Nolan and you really have to pay attention to all the subtleties and intricacies of his movies. Yeah. But once I got past, really once you get past the beginning of the movie with all the, um, the... The stuff he does um, playing with time in the opening uh, sequences, once you get past that, it's pretty easy to follow. And, of course, it, it, it's it's a tremendous movie. Yeah. And I do have to question the fact, like, okay, so your sister put the kibosh on the fact that you guys are going to go see it. Yep. But your grandfather and you end up going to the movies that night anyway. Why didn't you go to see it? Like, if you guys were so like, it seemed I, like so determined to go see it in the first place. I think because all of us wanted to go see, like, Batman, but she did not. And it, like, caused, like, this huge argument. Oh. So it was just like, okay, fine. Let's just go see Star Wars. All right. I mean, I presume she's seen The Dark Knight and enjoys it. Yeah, it's funny. She loves The Dark Knight because of, of Heath Ledger. Of course. Um, but she didn't – she might have seen Batman Begins and Dark Knight Rises 
once, but she really doesn't like them as much as she loves the Dark Knight. Hmm. But as movie begins, the movie like a few things that kind of like I noticed here, like this and the Dark Knight kind of set up certain tropes that was that would repeat throughout Hollywood ever since. Like it's one of the first things where uh, there's no cr- opening credits. It is like you see the Batman Logan and immediately jumps into Bruce being chased by Rachel when they're kids around the garden in uh, on Wayne Manor. We see Bruce fall through the well that was um, hidden to him, and we cut to um, early twenties uh, Bruce Wayne in a prison in China, who fight who learns to, gets into fight with a bunch of inmates fighting off six men. Gets thrown into solitary confinement and is introduced to Rachel Ghoul, played by Liam Neeson. Now, like this kind of like nonlinear feeling that you have at the very beginning of the movie, and how this tone is set up compared. Like, I, I guess I'll ask, ask ask this to you, Chris. First, I mean, compared to the tone and the aesthetic of how this movie begins, compared to the Burton and Schumacher movies, how did you feel the first time when you saw this? I'm not sure that I remember in detail. My initial thoughts on the opening of the movie. Um, when I watch it now, I love that, you know, Bruce in the prison and that stuff. I sink my teeth into that stuff with this movie. And that's it's the reason why this is my favorite Batman movie. Mm. I love everything leading up to him becoming Batman. That's like, mm, love it. Right. So that the way opening with that and opening with you know, the flashbacks to Bruce as a kid and everything and how it kind of jumps back and forth. I actually really like that because I find that it's, you know, you can tell the story as it happens and then fast forward to current day or you can have a random flashback in the middle of the movie. Right. But the way it kind of jumps back and forth, you're you're present in both of those at the same time. Mm. You're present in Bruce as a kid losing his parents, dealing with that. You're present with him in the middle or towards the end of his journey to become Batman. So you're present in both of those. You appreciate both of those rather than, I feel like if it was a flashback at some point in the movie to him as a kid, or if it just started with that and then you move on, I feel like you would move on from that so quickly and then they would have to cut back to that the way they do now anyway in the movie. So it's like, why not just tell the story that way? Yeah. Which I I love. I mean, like you go back to Batman 89 where everything is doing the present day of that story. And then we only get the one flashback to the night when Bruce's parents were killed. And it's a very specific choice. And it actually works for that movie. But since there is so much ground to cover when it comes to Batman's mythos and like how they want to structure the story, it makes sense. They want to go nonlinear and the fact that this is the origin story of Batman, something we've never seen on the big screen up until this point, they're like, all right. And the fact that Nolan, up until this point in his career, his two first movies were heavily influenced by the fact that they were nonlinear and play with time and play with like your surroundings and they ground that with the main character, whether it be through voiceover narration or whatnot, or the changing of setting of like how they're dressed or hair or facial hair to give you like, all right, we're not where we were in the previous scene. We have moved on to a different time period. And it get, does give the movie that energy that, like, if it was just, like, just a kid. Now he's a adolescent. Now he's a young adult. Like, you think of 
in say Rob Zombie's Halloween, we get the first chunk of a like young Michael Myers. We have the part of it when he's in the asylum, and then we have the part when he's a grown man and has escaped and gone back to Haddonfield. Now, a lot of people say like, like just one like kind of like a beef beat remake, like how the last part of that movie was. And some people prefer like, all right, this stuff with young Michael. Like maybe if you done that non-linear, like it could have worked, but. That's neither here nor there. And one of the other things I've really noticed about this is that how beautiful this movie was. I love the moment when he's Rachel Girl gives him the chance to like to become a legend, to battle injustice like how he wants to, because he thinks that that's what Bruce is going for. Why would he consciously get thrown get thrown in prison? So he, Bruce accepts the offer. Next day, he gets tossed from a moving truck from the prison truck at, you know, on the side of a mountain. They have to scale to get to Liam Neeson's uh, uh, hideaway. And it's that one shot when he's coming over the hill and you get the big flags right before at the base of the mountain. And I thought, like, that's like probably one of my favorite shots of Batman. Like, he's not even in the cowl. It doesn't have the costume whatsoever. But whenever I think of this series, especially this movie, that's like the first image that comes to my mind. And I love he climbs the temple, climbs up to the temple, gets inside. And Rachel Gould says, or... Oh, spoilers. Uh, uh, yeah, Liam Neeson's Rachel Ghoul. It movies nearly. It, no. Yeah. Just, you just ruined someone's life. I'm sorry. Spoilers. <laughs> they just spoil the warning. I love the moment when he's like, Are you ready to begin your training? And Bruce is like, I can barely stand. And then he starts beating the crap out of him. I always think at this moment, like, this is his audition tape for Taken. <laughs> I mean, otherwise, because you never saw Liam Neeson as this much of a badass before at this point. And then we have Ken. You. Qui Gon. Yeah, but he was a he was a like a very Zen monk of that he was a badass. Yeah. Thing, but he did hold his own against Darth Maul for it's the longest the time. Best part of that movie, actually. Yeah, <laughs> and John Williams' music. Oh, of course, yes. Uh, but um, and of course we have Ken Watanabe as fake Rachel Ghoul. Oh, he was so underused in this movie. Don't worry, no one makes up for it in Inception. You mean fake Al Ghoul? Fa- they mandarin him. Oh my god, they did Mandarin him. But somehow this worked here and did not work in Iron Man 3. Well. Yeah, and I, and I enjoy Iron Man 3. I know I I'm not. It's a great Christmas movie. Yes. And I know we sound like heathens for saying that to some people. Yeah, I, I wonder is, is, uh, Nandor Pabat in this movie, is that the, the, the home that Ken Watanabe has in Inception when he's in the, uh, the last layer of the dream? The, when he's in limbo? Like that's. Yeah. I mean, it seems like it could, but it, it takes so long to get to that limbo space. I mean, like, like if we're going by Nana Parbat and Era, where like oh anybody, a <laughs> Tom, Dick, and Jake could get there. It's like going to Seven Eleven. It's Pretty like oh, I'll be right back. I'm going to Nana Parbat. Yes, I'm gonna go deal with the League of, League of Assassins, and I'll pick up Pilk on the way home. Like, Spe- speaking of this, this movie is such a ripoff of Arrow. Oh my god! Yeah, I mean, Jesus. Even down to the nonlinear storytelling. Yeah, and like they have a big fight at one point, yeah. and, and it's just like. Ah, oh, man. And it's so dark and gritty. And yeah, and it just... I think I think that's one of the reasons why I, I love Arrow so much, especially the, those first two seasons, because mm-hmm. it reminds me of this movie, because it basically is this movie yes. stretched out across TV series. Of course, it goes off in a different direction, but the flashbacks to, you know, Oliver becoming yeah. the Green Arrow, it's the same concept. You know, it's not flashback to him as a kid, but... You're experiencing two different realities of this human, who he was and how he became who he is then. And then you get to experience who he is then. So at the same time, so they both carry the same weight. 
Yeah. When the flashbacks are done well, they're so great. And that's what you see here in Batman Begins with Bruce as a kid. You you love that kid and you feel for him and he's so expressive. And it would be a shame if you didn't revisit that throughout the movie if you only got it in one chunk like in Batman 89. Right. And also going back to that thought, what really drew me into this movie is that it's – Unlike the uh, the '89 Batman movie, uh, this is grounded in realism to an extent. Because to an extent, yeah. Because there's some stuff like even in this Dark Knight and Rises where like, yeah, mm, you're stretching there, but I'll go with you. Yeah, there there are moments, but for the most part, you know, it's it's very gritty. It's very, um, yeah. I I would say the Fantastic parts of it are more science fictiony yeah. rather than um, Any, anything mystical. Anything supernatural. mystical, and that's why I love the first two seasons of Arrow because that was also before everyone started coming back from the dead. Yeah, and you know, and before Tumblr started writing it. Oh my god! <laughs> Don't get me started. But yeah, Arrow season five review coming soon. I don't you, think the five is great. Yes. You, you have this, you know, this plot that's very driven by science fiction, um, but also that, you know, keeps itself pretty much grounded in the world as it is. Yeah. You know, with, with certain exceptions. Right. And it's something I'll, I'll get into a little bit deeper um, when it gets to Dark Knight with how that influence happened on popular culture as a Moving forward, uh, there's there's actually a um, going back to the, that storytelling process. There's actually I remember when I was taking a Tolkien class in uh, at Oswego, mm. and one of the things we learned early on was about world creating. Yeah, and how people will accept fiction, but only if it's believable fiction. If someone creates a world that has a green sun, it's going to be very difficult for that to be taken seriously because it just spot-on clashes with our concept of reality. And what the Nolan Batman series does is that it takes – it sets itself in a world pretty similar to ours right. and changes it so minutely that – um Sorry, my voice broke there, people. <laughs> I didn't mean to break a constitution. Like, Hi. I'm just going through Part puberty time. a second time okay. in the middle of the show. I didn't know Peter Brady was on the show. <laughs> I was just about to make that joke. <laughs> I love how Peter Brady is like the go-to character for puberty. It's, yes. It's incredible. But yeah, pretty much. If you, if you set even a fantasy um, piece... In a realistic environment, people are going to buy it and people are going to love it. And that's what makes Batman Begins um, so compelling, for me at least. Right. And after Rachel Girl beats down Batman, or beats down Bruce Wayne in the temple, we get to see another flashback of him as a kid. And we get to experience his relationship with his father because um, how Bruce and Thomas, like how Thomas like kind of like, 
Except the fact that like wh- and it says why do we fall, Bruce, and gives it like the theme like of the pretty much the entire trilogy. Like why do we fall? Because we learn to pick ourselves back up. Because it's not spring. I mean, uh, winter is coming with that, like those jokes. I mean, that's all I have to say. <laughs> yeah, I know. Um, we also introduced to the monorail that's going around uh, Gotham City. That will conspicuously be disappear by the time we get to the next movie. I'll get to that when we get to the Dark Knight. Well, they broke it. Yeah, but you don't think Bruce Wayne would have built another one because there's such a cheap part of public transportation around Gotham? I blame Barry. Yeah. Flashpoint. Flashpoint. <sighs> Fucking up more things. Damn right it. Now. I mean, because you know what? He needs more guilt. That's really what this movie is about. Right. This movie is about two things. Guilt. And fear. And fear. That, that's how it should have started. That There should have been like a title card at the beginning. This movie is about two things. One, guilt. Two, fear. That's all you need to know. Did anyone go back and count how many times... Fear pops up in the... Uh... No, because I didn't want to go cross-eyed watching the movie, so Wait, I decided did, to get it. Didn't we look at... I think we looked it up after we watched the uh Were we watching Batman Begins Against? I'm not too sure. Yeah, it was... And I'm seeing him out. It was... It was, Yeah. But anyway, with this flashback, we get to see the, uh, Thomas kind of comfort his son dealing with everything. They go to the opera, and... Because during when Bruce fell down into the well, he got attacked by a bunch of bats that freaked him out. And during this opera, he has kind of a little bit of a kind of anxiety attack because of how the some of the performers look like bats. And it seems like it's swarming in front of him. And he asks to leave. His father obliges him, his mother, and his father go out the back, back exit of the opera house, run into a homeless person who pulls a gun on them, trying to rob him. Thomas tries to be calm and collected to just give him what he wants so he can go away. And he warned, Joe Chill wanted the pearls. He said no, shot down his parents and ran away. And he said, don't be afraid. That was the last words that his father said to uh, young Bruce. In possibly the most frightening way you could possibly say that. Yeah, because his eyes are bugging out of his head at that point. He's just like, don't be afraid. Kind of not an option, Pops. Yeah, I mean. I'd also like to say. I really wish Joe Chill was in Batman and Robin. Why? Just for him to interact with Arnold Schwarzenegger. Dude. I sure saw that coming. <laughs> I just had a glimpse of what my hell is. I mean, it, writes, <laughs> it writes itself. Yes. Hey, I would have kicked ice. Oh. oh all, right, all right. Cool your jets, guys. All right, let's move on. So... Bruce begins his training at the League of Assassins, and or League of Shadows, as it's called in this universe. And he, he excels as a great ninja. We have to introduce the how we see what the gauntlets are. Ninja range of power, now! <laughs> ninja! Ninja! Rap! Ninja! Ninjetti. <laughs> ninjetti. Oh, man. Um, we get to see how the gauntlets actually became a thing as a part of defense. We hear a little bit of... Ducard, a.k.a. Ra's al Ghul, and his backstory of his wife and child, which will come up later. Don't worry, we'll set... It's not a setup. We don't know it's a setup, but it'll be paid off later. Um, so we have one final test between Bruce and Ra's al Ghul. After he's exposed to a fear toxin derived from a blue flower that grows on the mountain where, the, where this uh, training facility is held. And Bruce Wade succeeds. And we get the most awkward clap in the world from Ken Watsonabi with two hands like this, just like palm on palm. 
Yeah, like just like ha ha ha. He claps like a '60s cartoon. Seriously, it's just like it was just so strange. And as Gotham's favorite son, you should go back and destroy it. And it's like very acting is all about choices, but it was just a very odd choice of how Ken was how he played. Uh, Rachel Gould. I know you're just as doing like the uh, facial expressions or like to show the mustache. Twirling my mustache. Which she has, which is very comic uh, book uh, like with how Rachel Gould has those mustaches. Um, the final test is for Bruce to execute a prisoner that's there. Bruce refuses, then concedes, like, you know what, we need to do this. Okay. But turns the, the tables on him and starts to set fire to the temple and fight his former master. I do really like how this movie subverts your expectations of you think you're oh well this is standard superhero fare look at look at Ra's al Ghul. look at him he he looks like he would be you know what you would see in a comic book movie up to that point you know even then yeah but when he turns out the way it turns out I think it elevates this movie and I I, I feel like is this something that people have typically had a problem with? When discussing this movie, the fact that Ducard is Ra's al Ghul, is, is, is that like a sticking point for people? Because I've always felt that that's when the movie, like, it's like, oh, now we're talking. Like, mm. now we're, you know, now we're cooking with grease. <laughs> I've never said that before. No. It felt weird. Don't ever say it again. It's going to make you feel uncomfortable. Edit that out. <laughs> <laughs> um... But yeah, but what do you think of this set piece of like the fight between non Rishal Ghoul and Batman as he he is killing people in this temple with these explosions that's going on caused by Bruce Wayne? But he's not killing the person that he was told to kill. And I think that counts for something. Could you imagine if that person ended up dying by accident because of this clever ruse? Well I mean that's like if I'm in a hostage situation and someone's got a gun to a person's head and I take a shot. And I don't shoot the terrorists, I shoot the hostage instead. Like, that's how it looks like. It's like, oh, whoops, I, I hit the wrong person. Golly gee, I messed up there. Like, I should go home. <laughs> I had nothing to say. I was just shifting the microphone <laughs> over. Um, and one of my favorite moments in the scene is when the final explosion as Bruce Wayne and Ducard go flying out the side of the temple. Like, that's always an image that stuck with me as they also slide down the mountain. Bruce slides to his stomach to grab the now unconscious Ducard, Liam Neeson, and grabs him. And I was, that moment when he grabs him, he's, he's only holding on to him one-armed. I'm like, he totally just dislocated his shoulder there. Like, he is, his arm is screwed beyond belief at that point. Like, I'm sorry, your criminal uh, fighting career is done before it even began. And this is precisely why you don't live on the side of a mountain. Every time I watch this movie, I get so uncomfortable. It's like, have you ever been at like a baseball game or something or some event in an arena where, and like there's someone sitting right, like on the edge, right on the edge of, and they're like holding their phone out and like, they're going to drop their, they're going to drop their phone off the, off the thing. Like, I, why are you doing this? Yes. Why are you just dangling your phone above, and you're going to drop it all the way down? That's what I feel like. Why are you putting a gigantic temple? On a mountain. Well, you see, they saw Arrow and how easy it was to get the nanopar bat, and so they were like, you know what? We're going to recon that with, with Flashpoint, and so we're going to put it in a very secluded place. Well, yeah. But on, a, <laughs> on the side of a mountain? I mean... 
I just, I'm very uncomfortable with that. Every time I watch it, I'm like, how did, I, I would not, you could not pay me to get on that, in that temple, on that side of that mountain. Because every second that I would be in there, I would just be thinking that we're going to slide off the mountain. And how has this not happened until now? But now that I'm here, it's definitely going down and we're definitely going to die. That's what I'd be thinking. People actually live in, like, if you go to, um, to bed or in Nepal, there, that's basically how people have to live because the, the terrain, um, that, that's all the, the, the people have there. So your worst nightmare is all of their day to day lives. <laughs> <laughs> that's a first world problem right there. Your nightmare is their day to day lives. <laughs> well, you don't have to. Uh, okay. What is like a house on stilts? Oh, no. Would you live in a house on stilts? I'm, I'm not sure I understand the concept of a house on stilts. You never, you never heard of that concept before? No. North, like a lot of like, like Northern California because of like how hilly it is and mountainy it is that like some houses like you have part of the foundation on actual earth and the rest of it like some of the other courses. Is like, oh. Yeah. See, I'm picturing like – A circus performer that has a house I'm picturing a house walking around on stilts. Barnman Bailey presents this, this, this grand hotel, three bathrooms, two clowns. <laughs> <laughs> Those earthquakes! Whoa! Honk, 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 honk. <laughs> but to answer your question, I would not set foot on the side of the house that's on stilts because, in my mind, as soon as I walk in that room, it's going down, and I'm gonna you die. Like timber. It. <laughs> <laughs> Boom! Talk about a mobile home. Oh ho! Woo! You thought the puns stay with Batman and Robin. So I, I really felt that, that the choices that Liam Neeson... <laughs> <laughs> um, early before that, I kind of skipped over this. I apologize. So we're going back to it. We see a flashback of young Bruce like when he's in Princeton. He's coming back from uh, while he's at college to deal with the court case that's going on where Joe Chill is getting released. Based on his testimony, he gets Carmine Falcone, the biggest crime boss in Gotham City. Bruce intends to murder Joe Chill, not telling anybody about this, and and like, talks with Alfred, played by Michael Caine, who's doing a fantastic job of keeping the place how it was and looking out for Bruce. Rachel's grown up into Katie Holmes and giving a guilt trip to Bruce because that's her function in this movie. And being on Dawson's Creek. Yes. Rachel Dawson's Creek. Creek. <laughs> how long have you been waiting to make that joke? I feel like we made it when we watched it. I think so, too. We definitely did. I mean, it was buried in how many times Fear was brought up in the movie, so that's why why we didn't remember it. It's too bad, like, James Vanderbeek wasn't ever a part of this movie. Yes. Or, or Joshua. Imagine Joshua Jackson. You know what? I, I feel like... Him instead of Joseph Gordon-Levitt. Oh. That'd be... No, you know what? Joshua Jackson as Robin in Batman and Robin have a little Ocean's Eleven reunion there. Because remember when he's in Ocean's Eleven playing yes, poker? Yes, he was. And he, he asked Danny Ocean, well, why were you in prison? <laughs> All. I stole things. <laughs> All reds. So crazy is <laughs> not how poker Could've works. car washed. <laughs> uh, uh, we got to do an Ocean's Eleven Yes, podcast. we will. And so Joe Chill 
has his testimony. He's about to give his testimony. He's leaving the courthouse. Bruce is about to kill him when another assassin comes up and caps him right there in front of everybody. The green arrow. No, it was a female. It was a, it was a woman. It was Black Canary. Because <laughs> <laughs> it was a blonde woman. Um, Bruce is upset because he didn't get to do it himself. He's talking with Rachel as they drive down into like the, the derelict part of Gotham City, <laughs> yeah. where her, gui- her guided tour of urban decay. Yeah, and just saying like, look beyond your own pain, and everything like that. Well, your sister's broken. Look, I brought a gun, and she just fucking slaps him like it's nobody's business because like, you have the dude has a loaded gun in his lap with his hands pushed on, and you're gonna slap him? I'm sorry, he's gonna shoot himself either in the thigh or he's gonna shoot you accidentally. You don't do that. Not only does she slap him, she does it twice. And not just like, yeah, it's like one, and then it's not like a, a quick thing. It's like one, thinks about it again, and then slaps him again. And the second one, to me, plays for comedy. It's, it's, it, yeah. it's like something that you would see in like a, like a Seth Rogen movie or something like that. Someone slaps a character, and then they, <laughs> and then, and then, and then they wait, slap. and they slap him again, and then, and they're like, oh. This is supposed to be dramatic. Whoops. And then it would like smash cut to something else. Yeah. Happening. After that, Bruce gets rid of the gun and goes see Carmine Falcone in his uh, bar restaurant hangout. And I love and Tom Wilkinson as Carmine Falcone. And this is probably my favorite scene in the movie. Their interaction. That Carmine Falcone has no fear of any repercussions because he's the most powerful person in Gotham. And like he pulls that gun, and he says, "I'm surrounded by cops, judges, and lawyers, and I I don't, wouldn't think twice about capping you, and you're the prince of the city, and that's that's influence you cannot buy." And I love the moment when he's dra- Bruce is about to be dragged away and beat up by Carmen Falcone's guys, and like your your father begged, so I heard from Joe Chill, begged like a dog, and there's a moment where his lip kind of quivers when he's saying that he's just like getting off on the fact that he's burying his father in front of him and getting away with it. And I do wonder the fact, like, why does he have, like, a 10-year-old's haircut? You know, I was going to say, his look in this period in the movie, I get an Adam West vibe from it. I get an Adam West Batman vibe from it. How so? I don't know. It just has, he has that kind of classic look to him that I feel like he looks like Adam West looked a lot of the time as Batman. Hmm. If and only that, I had Miss Kitka. <laughs> if only. Yes. But no, and, and it's not like a, a, an exact thing, and I'm sure it wasn't intentional, but I get that vibe from it. So me seeing this movie for the first time, that helped me associate, you know, make that association and be like, oh, well, he looks like a classic Bruce Wayne. You know, he looks like Bruce Wayne. To me, because to me, that's what Bruce Wayne looked like for so many years. Mm. So, yeah, but no. The horrible haircut, though. Yeah, it, it it would be like Adam West at ten years old. That would be the haircut. <laughs> if you've ever like, if you see photos of Adam West before the Batman series, that to me is the look that he has going on. Hmm. Justin, you're feeling the, the Falcone scene and with Rachel guilting uh, Bruce. I think he does kind of remind me of Adam West, but he's just got that like really classic gangster feeling about him like you know you would see in the old uh, film noir type movies like you know classic mm. Al Capone type um, uh, character right and especially with his like over the top Chicago accent yeah, he's got going on yeah. too 
Which, which is interesting because they filmed this movie in uh, Chicago, partly in Chicago. <laughs> partly in Chicago. Partly in Chicago because his family had residency here as well as England. Yes. And because right, a lot of this was shot on stage in England for like a lot of the stuff like in the Narrows and a lot of the stuff in the street, but it's also pepper throughout location photography. And this is what kind of says one of the biggest things that separates this from like the Burton Schumacher movies because a lot of stuff was shot on location and stage. The Burton and the Schumacher movies were primarily stage movies. Like you look at like the one like joke of Batman A nine, it's like you have the town square and that's about it. And you have Axis Chemicals. Yeah. And it's like, hope oh, we have the car chase. We're going to go around the bend again. I think, and that that was all superhero movies up until a certain point, right? So, like, yeah. like for me personally, up until Spider-Man 2002, everything had that samey feel to it, that backlot feel. Right. And it's when I go, when you go back to early superhero movies that aren't Batman, to me, a lot of them are almost unwatchable. It's just like... No, this and and the fact that Batman is in those other four movies—that's the only reason why I can watch them. Well, like Batman '89 and Batman Returns are beautiful; they look beautiful movies. Yeah. They're they're beautiful looking movies, but like man, the 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 aesthetics of pre, you know, Spider Man, pre Nolan trilogy superhero movies. There, it's like. It it doesn't quite have the same expanded, like lived in actual Earth feel that these movies have. Right, and one of the things that was an inspiration for at least Batman Begins was Ridley Scott's Blade Runner. Now, Blade Runner came out post Star Wars, which was a very lived in science fiction future, and like because Ridley Scott used that aesthetic for Alien, and he used that for Blade Runner. And if you look like you put like Blade Runner and Batman Begins back like side by side, you could see like. You can see how one block could end up, like, and one movie could end up in another block for another movie. And I think it's a very distinct choice for this movie because it's like, all right, it definitely sets it up as a certain way of how the movies look. And during this part of the movie where Bruce decides, like, I'm going to learn what the criminals are like, throws away a bunch of his stuff into a fire where a bum is. He gives him his jacket and some cash. That's a nice coat. It's, it, it, it was a very nice coat. Um, so we see him as a criminal, and we see him eventually get picked up by Alfred later on. We cut back. This is pretty much, at this point, we're in the present, and we're pretty much at the present all the way out to the rest of the movie. I always question the fact here. Alfred shows up with a jet in the middle of nowhere, and, that, and Bruce is talking about, like, I'm going to become a symbol and fight crime. And, like, shouldn't, like, uh, Alfred be, like, calling the men in white coats at this point and saying, like, uh, I found uh, the lost heir of the Waynes, who's been dead for uh, nearly, thought, thought to be dead for seven years, and now he's talking about being a crime fighter. And he doesn't bat an eye. You know, there's something to that. And I almost feel like the way that they're portraying Alfred on Gotham is almost a more, you know, it lends itself more to him kind of going along with what Bruce is doing mm. than just suddenly Bruce shows up. Oh, yeah, by the way, this is what I'm doing, and you're not my accomplice in this. <laughs> you have no choice. You know, it, it, that or you're fired. <laughs> but the plane scene, that's my favorite scene in the movie. When I think of Batman Begins, I think of Bruce and Alfred sitting on the plane. And Bruce telling Alfred that he has to be a symbol 
you know, a, a man is corruptible, but the symbol can stand for an, you know, an ideal. And like the, everything about that, what I love about this movie happens right in that plane in that plane scene. I love it. It's the first image that pops into my head when I think of Batman Begins. I don't know why, but that's always been my favorite part of this movie. Hmm. And it's it's also it's a nice in between of everything leading up to it and then everything that happens after that in terms of him becoming Batman. It's that right in the sweet spot for me of this is kind of everything leading up to it and everything happening after that rely on that that is the turning point of everything. Well, it's kind of like, if Kim Reverse is like the end of the first act of the movie, it's kind of like if, if we're talking about like the hero's journey, like you, Justin, you brought up like Tolkien, and like Tolkien kind of has a little bit of like what Joseph Campbell's uh, ideas of what the monomyth would be. Yeah. That airplane scene would be considered crossing the threshold. It would be. You know, it, when you talk about um, the hero's journey in this movie, I think really the only thing it's lacking is the. Um, I forget what the the technical term that Joseph Campbell used, but the the refusal of the quest. Yeah, there, there's like okay, now there's if you're talking about like Joseph Campbell's idea of the hero's journey, you had like 17 steps. Yeah. Now it's been kind of like kind of cut down because of like there's an author by the name of Christopher Volger who kind of refined it for writers, screenwriters specifically, and he wrote a book called The Writer's Journey, which I love. It teaches you screenwriting the Joseph Campbell's ideas, and like you have like. Like uh, uh, opening, like the ordinary world where we set up the rules to it, kind of like how you're saying, if this is the context of the, how the story is, then you have uh, call to adventure, meeting the, the mentor, refuse with the call, and eventually crossing the threshold, and then moves on and on. Like, yeah. you think of like Star Wars: New Hope is a classic example of it. The Matrix is a classic example of that of that storytelling, and Batman Begins, even though it's nonlinear, has that kind of storytelling. Mm-hmm. To, like I guess, like the refusal, I guess is maybe maybe you, him going away in the first place. Yeah, or his initial like kind of hesitation to Rachel. Or like, okay, he has refused. Like he is called upon to be an assassin for the League of Assassins, and that's his refusal right. to call. Yes. And you could theoretically the crossing threshold is when he decides to destroy the temple. Yeah, and I don't think that's the crossing the threshold part because that's. When he decides he has his power, or he's capable enough to um, fight crime and mm. do pretty much more or less whatever he wants, but only if it's done um, by Bruce's own code. Right. So it's at that moment where he really decides, you know, what his purpose is. Mm. It isn't just to you know, fight someone's belief of what justice is. It's to fight his own belief of what justice is. And it's funny because with that plane scene, he must become something else. <laughs> he must become... <laughs> Albert, what's that sound coming from? It keeps repeating that every time I say something else, it's rather annoying. <laughs> Sir, I haven't heard anything. It's just Bruce, like, hearing noises in his head. Suddenly, Alfred turns into Race of the Maid. <laughs> uh, how many Arrow references are we just going to shoehorn into this uh, review? All of them, because this movie is a complete ripoff of Arrow. Of and- course, I mean, yeah, I mean, 
such a shame. I, I always want to credit like Nolan with originality and taste, but apparently not. He's just yeah, he's he ripping off. off TV series from the future. Yeah, he's that good at what he does. He's able to rip off stuff from the future. Um, and so, must have an almanac. <laughs> oh, wow! He did he beat us the first Back to the Future joke in this podcast? Yep. God no. damn it, he did. No, someone else mentioned. No, we mentioned Back to the Future on the Adam West Tribute oh, episode, yes. but we don't think we did that here. Son of a bitch. However, we did get like we did get like uh, Ocean's Eleven reference in there, so. Well, yeah. All right, so that's like if we're playing like Chris and Tim Bingo, we've checked off Back to the Future. Well, we haven't. We didn't reference it, no. but we've checked off Ocean's Eleven. Uh, what else did we have to do? Home Alone. I think we did. We you guys already got uh, John Denver in. Yes, we got, I got John Denver out of the way yeah. right in the beginning, so yeah. we, don't, we don't have to go down those country roads. <laughs> what, what what else did we reference? Ah, too much. <laughs> <laughs> and so we cut back to Gotham, and we see Egg, Egghead, Egghead. Yeah, Egghead. Um, we see uh, Doctor Jonathan Crane testifying in court about a patient. Uh, of, uh, Mr. Zaz and Zaz and his Zaz hands. <laughs> it's like I wrote that Zaz hands like with a bunch of Z's too in my notes right there. Love Zaz. I love saying Zaz. 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 I mean, like he was butchering me with that voice. Like I, I think I may go out with a smile on my face at that point. But like, well, this guy is too funny to to be mad at if he's gonna kill me. And we see Rachel Dawes now is uh, as a fully functioning. Uh, Yes, she's a fully functioning human being. She was a robot before, but she's become a human now. Fully capable of guilt trips. Yes. That she's working for the district attorney. Um, she's tra- talking to her boss who's trying to watch out for her. And they go. he goes in for like a kiss on his cheek. At the same time, we cut to the perspective of Bruce Wayne as a homeless person for like one time in the entire movie, spying on them. And he's like, oh, I guess that uh, ship has sailed for me. And... I love this scene in this courthouse because of Cillian Murphy as Dr. Jonathan Crane. Justin, what do you think about his performance in this movie? Uh, terrific. Um, again, this is <clears throat> excuse me. This is the first uh, movie I saw that he appeared in, and luckily he comes back in a couple of other Nolan films, including the one that's coming out next month as well. Yes. So. Um, He's terrific. His American accent in this movie is really um, convincing. So much so that when I watched the first episode of Peaky Blinders, I was really uncomfortable with the fact that he had uh, his normal British accent. And it, or I guess, is he British or Irish with a name like... Murphy. Ken? Yeah. He may be Irish. But... And you said it wrong. It's Peaky Fucking Blinders. Like, that's how you get the proper pronunciation of that. I should have known. I mean, yeah, I mean. Ginger sitting right in front of me. Yeah, I mean, like, at one point I was considering if I grew out my hair long enough to get that haircut. But then I'm like, then I'm like, oh, then I'm going to have to have that hat with razor blades in there. I'm like, that's just too much work. But moving on. Uh, Yeah, he's tremendous in this, uh, and as well as Scarecrow. I am so happy that. He was able to come back for the next two um, Batman films, even right. if they were just small roles. Once at the beginning of uh, Dark Knight, and then 
couple of times throughout um, Rises. Rises. When he when he first comes on the screen, that it's the middle of the movie, and the last thing you're expecting is to see him on the screen. Yeah. And the first time I saw it, I was like, yes! <laughs> I mean, his performance in Dark Knight Rises, I know we'll get to it eventually, but his line delivery of, like, death by exile is something that's stuck with the three of us <laughs> ever since the first time we watched that movie. And so. not, not just you guys, but, like, any one of my friends who have seen that movie... Like, that that's the go-to line from that movie. Right. And so, Bruce Wayne continues his quest on becoming a crime fighter, re-emerges as Bruce Wayne to the board directors of Wayne Enterprises, and starts talking to um, Rutger Hauer, who plays the guy who's running Wayne Enterprises at the time, and talking about, well, once again, involved with R&D. And we get introduced to Morgan Freeman, who plays uh, Lucius Fox, and we're introduced to like how the what will become the proto Batman suit and the tumbler. Your feelings on the tumbler? You know, uh, I mainly use Twitter, but um, I've <laughs> you know there's a can of Raid right here, and I'm like, you know what? It looks tasty. I think Raid! I need. <laughs> Duh! No, I mean for this movie. I think the tumbler, the tumbler is quite, uh, quite fitting. Yeah, because you can't have the '89 Batmobile in Christopher Nolan's Gotham. No, it just it doesn't work. I mean, I, f- I feel like the tumbler is everything so rooted in reality. It's only natural that the tumbler would be you know a military vehicle. Mm. It, it makes complete sense. Yeah, and the fact that it can do most of the things, or if not all the things to an extent that we see on screen in real life is astounding. But it can't drive up walls. No. Not that we know of. We never saw him do it. See, that's where... That's what they did wrong. That's where you sell action figures. That's where you sell toys. Yeah. I mean, just look at Batman forever. I bought so many toys because of that movie and definitely because... Driving up the wall. Driving up the wall. Never thought of this before. I mean, I drive my parents up the wall to buy all those goddamn toys. (laughs) (laughs) So... um. And then we're introduced. We're reintroduced to Jim Gordon because we saw young Gary Oldman, young Gary Oldman, yes, uh, as Jim Gordon uh, putting his jacket on young Bruce Wayne after the murder of their parents, of his parents, I should say, of Bruce's parents, not Jim Gordon's parents. Like you need a coat because my parents are dead. Either they're related or both of their parents. Them, which <laughs> I mean, it is Gotham. Do you know what? His parents could have been killed. Though. I mean, like the death rate in that city is probably astronomically high. That would be so adorable if, like, you Gord- watch your parents too. Gordon's consoling Bruce, and then Bruce consoles Gordon, and then it becomes like an NBC sitcom for some reason. That's actually a part of season four of Gotham. Ah. <laughs> and that's what it cuts back to them later. It's like Gordon's talking to Bruce Wayne, like. I was there all day, all day with the corpse, man. I, luckily, I started talking about a few weeks went by. But Actually, I did hear in, in season four of Gotham that it'll be revealed that Jim Gordon is actually Gordon Bombay, and then Bruce joins a hockey team. Quack. Yeah. Quack, 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 quack. Mr. Ducksworth. <laughs> that's my duck. That's my ducks. As, as check off your bingo card. Yep, my ducks reference. <laughs> Shut up. Um... Can we talk about Morgan Freeman? Yes. He, he adds so much to this to these movies. Yeah. 
And just his dry he, humor and everything. I mean, he adds so much to the world just by existing. Yes. But... As a person. I feel like he... For moviegoers who maybe aren't, like, the diehard comics fan or the diehard Batman fan, Morgan Freeman is someone that as soon as you see him in a movie, you perk up. You're like, all right, here we go. And as Lucius Fox, he's he's a no-brainer. He fits like a glove. Um to the point where anytime Lucius Fox on Gotham comes up, I'm like, oh, but you're just not Morgan Freeman. <laughs> and, you know. How can you replace God? You can't. You, you can't. Simply, you simply can't. Yeah, it's, you can't help it. But it's just, he's so great. And his humor works. He, he had very great comedic timing with, with Bale. Yeah. They work. You you want more of it. You want more of them. You want them to go spunking together. together. You, yes. <laughs> I want, I want, I want, uh, I want Lucius Fox to just be Robin. Just like, or like, or just be like Foxman. I'm a Foxman. <laughs> be ba 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 Did you just combine what does the fox say and, and Scatman? That I did. Wow. When you woke up this morning, did you expect that to happen? No. And now I would really just like to go back to sleep. <laughs> yeah. Wow, guys. Uh, tell me how you really feel. That was horrible, and I'm never doing a podcast with you again. Well, up, uh, throw away your bingo cards. <laughs> um, I love the moment when it cuts back to Bruce and uh, Alfred assembling all the pieces to become Batman. And I love when he's got his, like, uh, Bat- uh, Bruce has got his uh, climbing gear on at the edge of the cave that's underneath Wayne Manor, and he's right by the waterfall. He's like, Alfred, come up here and look at this. And it cuts back to Alfred. No, I'm good here. Thank you. And doesn't want to get near the waterfall as he's wearing his giant parka in the cave itself. Uh, just See, Gotham, Alfred, would have been up there before Bruce. Yeah. yeah. I mean, <laughs> Most of the way, get your ass up here. Your feelings are uh, Lucius Fox. I mean, he's Morgan Freeman. You, you, you don't say. Is that you, you can't, you can't. I thought it was Delroy Lindo, but you, you know can't what? top it. And not even Billy D. Williams in the '89 Batman movie <sighs> can top it. Oh, we don't have any time for ghosts or goblins. <laughs> yeah, we're Coat Forty Five. That's how I destroyed the Death Star. I had a few of these, and I took on the Empire. Uh, uh. He. Doesn't he have a, a cameo in um, Lego Batman movie? The Lego Batman movie? as Two Face. Yeah, really? I, yeah, as because it because he was supposed to be Two Face. That was the initial plan. That's why they had him as Harvey Dent in Batman Eighty Nine with the payoff that he'd eventually oh, be Two Face. Right, yes. However, like by that point, Batman Forever was being made. Billy D. Williams' star kind of faded, and Tommy Lee Jones had just won the Oscar for The Fugitive, so they replaced him with another man with three names. That was the criteria. They went down, like, who's the most popular people with three names? Like, Lee Harvey Oswald? Well, he's dead. We can't yeah, do that. Tiffany Amber Thyssen? Nope. She's busy. Uh, Tommy Lee Jones. We can get him. Imagine Kelly Kapowski as, as Two-Face. Wow, that would... A gender-bend Harvey Dent. I can see that in Gotham. Yeah. I, I mean, at this point... I... You know what I'd love to see, just in the future, in Batman media? Morgan Freeman as Alfred. Anything about that? Uh, I'd go for it. Yeah, I, I, I would not be opposed to that. Yeah, when, when I tried watching Gotham the first time, I remember one of my hesitations going into it was how how do you get a better Alfred than Michael, Michael Caine? 
my cocaine. Yes. And then, after just watching a handful of episodes with Sean Pertwee, um, I was like, I was really pleasantly surprised with how much I love that version of Alfred. Um, definitely more so than any other version of Alfred I'd seen in like the few animated episodes I had seen or the uh, the the few times I've watched the the um the 60s TV series. Hmm. I feel like the competition for best Alfred is almost it's more fierce than best Batman. I mean, because you had I forget the actor's name. Michael Goff. No, I mean, no, oh, on on the 60s show, I forget. But um, wait, uh, uh, you keep talking. I'll I'll, yeah, I'll so think. You have it. Michael Goff for the Burton and Schumacher movies. Of course, you have Michael Caine here on the Dark Knight trilogy. Jeremy Irons, who I think crushes it in Batman v Superman. When I'm looking forward to see him, and I know you still need to see that. Uh, you and Sean on Gotham. So. So many iterations of of the the this character, you just like kind of pick and choose. I can't remember. How can I not remember sixty six Alfred's name? I think it was Alan something. Alan. Oh man, Alan, uh, I'm I'm completely I'm completely blanked up. <laughs> yeah, you, because you're losing a way to be able to pr- pronunciate. Like that's how bad this question is is burning on you in the inside. But yeah, I mean, like, how can you choose? With, there's there's been a lot of great Alfreds, um, but Michael Caine. I don't know. Maybe he's maybe he's my favorite. He's uh, you know, you get he's in the three best Batman movies. Mm. Um, well, that may be a controversial take. Yeah, but I said it. <laughs> I mean. He's the only Alfred who's made me like near tears. That's in his speech at the in the middle of like Dark Knight Rises, where he's talking about trying to save Bruce, which I love. I, I, yeah, you you never get tears with sixty six Alfred. No, he's, he's just kind of this guy that's just there. He's like, oh, yeah. I mean, like, ooh, my, my, who does people hear? I mean, one of the I think the best things from Batman and Robin is Bruce and Alfred's relationship as Alfred starts to deteriorate yeah. throughout the movie. Like, those are the best scenes in the movie, and. Like those suits, I could I could watch them on repeat. Like, I love that stuff, and I love Jeremy Irons' like kind of contentious relationship that he has with Ben Affleck's Batman because Batman is going down this kind of such a dark path in that movie, and he does not like it. Like he'll help him, however, he doesn't. He's not comfortable with it. Anyway, back to Batman Begins. So Batman or uh, tries to recruit uh, Gordon. By dressing up as a ninja, realizing he needs something to make him fly a little bit or glide, so that's where they have the kind of memory foam a little bit for the cape. They design the bat suit, and eventually, Falcone talks with Scarecrow about a shipment of drugs that's coming in, and it's very important because their employer is coming to the city soon. At the same time, they say like we need to kill Rachel Dawes. Like okay, and and I agree. <laughs> At least this iteration of Rachel Dawes. I, I really enjoy uh, Maggie, Gyllenhaal. Maggie Gyllenhaal in The Dark Knight. Well, because she's a better actor. Yeah. Um, just... Women can be actors. Yeah. Some people like – some of them like – I've seen other like actors like, – like actresses refer to themselves as actors because it seems kind of a little – it's like saying yeah. like police officers like, oh, I'm a police man. I'm a police woman. Yeah. It's like how – it's like how they're not – you know, you're not. They're not stewardesses they're flight anymore. Attendants. They're flight attendants. Male and that could be anyone. Right. I feel like an actor can be anyone. It can be a male or a female. Or a chair. It can, it can be gender. Ne- 
or object neutral. <laughs> I mean, I mean, like I'm just saying, like the chair. Could it, be. The, the chair is acting like a chair. It may yeah. not be a chair. It may be an umbrella, but it's acting like a chair. I, and we all know, and like lamps and stuff like that. I love lamp. I mean. <laughs> Fine, I'll just take my Anchorman references and I'll just uh, stick them back in my pocket. Then. Oh, I've uh, never seen Anchorman. <laughs> I don't know. <laughs> um, and so in order for this shipment to go off without a hitch, Falcone personally watches over this uh, transaction that's going on, as well as one of the dirty cops, Flask, is there with him. <laughs> Flask. And here's... I love Flask. I feel like he should be eating in every shot of this movie. Just this constantly scarfing something down yeah i think of him i think of falafel <laughs> I, like falafel? I i i feel like he should every shot of this movie should be him eating i i love that it's great i love flesh and so an hour into the movie we finally get to see batman attack these goons for the first time and we really don't get to see him batman because it's it's shot from the kind of perspective of how these goons would see it that it's a black flash coming out of nowhere and taking down all your friends. And you'd be terrified. And one of the moments that was in the trailer that kind of got me hooked in this movie. And it's something that's lived synonymously with this trilogy. is like one guy backing up screaming, where are you? And then Batman right behind him. And he says, thank you. So I'm like, I'm like, hey. he has the better Batman voice, but the mic wasn't applied. Yeah. There we go. I mean, oh man, I just look like a goof now. More than usual. Well, that was, yeah, that's what we're here it. for. I'm glad. Check you that off on your bingo card. Uh, Tim, Tim looks like a goof. Well, it's an auditory podcast, but I don't know how I look like. I mean, like, granted, I'm kind of sunburned right now, so I look kind of goofy. So, uh, moving on. Um, so what do you think of the fight scene that happens in this, when he falls, like, it's like all the guys are in, like, a circle, and Bennett comes down the center, and the camera does, like, a couple 360 shots around them as he takes them all down. Check off your bingo cards again. What the fuck? I asked you guys a question. You guys look at me like a fucking deer in headlights. Both of you. I should run you both down. He has the mic. And you're just like, <laughs> I like Batman. Like that. That was you. I'm letting him go first. I'm a bat. <laughs> um. The fight scenes. Yes. What do you think about them? God damn it. Yes. But for bat, <laughs> keep bat warm. Major League, check off your bingo card. Uh, <laughs> Tell me, Jesus Christ, go and hit a curveball. I say, fuck you, Jobu. <laughs> I do it myself. <laughs> no, um, you know, I, I feel like the action scenes, the fight scenes in these movies are some of the more criticized aspects of them, along with Bale's Batman voice, which mm. is a lot less goofy in this yeah. movie. And I feel like the, the action scenes are are better in this movie, especially when you can't really see what's going on. I like that because very true to the experience of whoever is getting their ass handed to them by Batman, you don't know what's going on. Mm. It's just moving over here, moves over there, and then you're on the ground, and you're not dead <laughs> because it's Batman. But in, in real-life circumstances, you probably would be dead. Yeah, or in, in, in traction. Or like, Yes, in, definitely in traction. Yeah. I like I like that word traction. Yes, <laughs> I feel like you don't get to say that word enough. No, um, it's kind of like that, like a gallivanting and bamboozled. Well, like. you, well, you could say gallivanting pretty regularly if mm. you really apply yourself. Yeah, bamboozled is. It sounds like you're just trying to sneak it in. 
if it's you kind say of shen- shenanigans, uh, malarkey or tomfoolery. Tomfoolery. Yeah. That would be a great, like, the name of a character or something. Tomfoolery. Tom Thanks, Cisco. Everyone <laughs> <laughs> gets a nickname. Yes. Um, to be honest, in all superhero movies, I think the fight scenes are always my least favorite part of a movie. Except for Wonder Woman. Wonder Woman was pretty badass, but go on. Um, like, I think one of the... Well, you haven't seen BBS yet, so you haven't seen the Martha rescue and see how Batman destroys motherfuckers and then... <sighs> you watch it. It's on HBO Go? No, it's, it... it's a theatrical cut. It's not the extended cut, though. Oh. So... Well, then fuck me. <laughs> so you watch the extended cut. Go on. Um... It's not that I tune... Oh myself out during the fight scenes but yeah with your rabbit ears above you and everything you just yeah. go for new signal <laughs> you know the, the hidden switch that's within my hair yeah um it's it's just the i wouldn't judge these movies based on their fight scenes alone and i think people have a tendency especially with the marvel movies mm-hmm. um which are much more action driven than the the Dark Knight series. I think there's a tendency to rate um a superhero movie um more for its action scenes than for how it presents the story. But with with this movie and with the other two movies as well, it's it's just anything could happen in them. Uh, with as as far as the fight scenes go, and I would be okay with it because I I know that there's. It's just how everything gets resolved. I mean, sure there are nuances with how everything is shot and how everything looks, but uh, as far as you know, what happens during the fight scenes themselves, how it's choreographed, the those aspects, I really don't pay too much attention to that stuff because. The message isn't the um, the message isn't about the violence. The message is um, about the how story. Do, and the yeah, movie. and how, how do you, you get how, that. how he overcomes it and everything. Yeah. Gotcha. Um, I remember at the time I was kind of like, "Well, that's a little uncomfortable being shot so close and everything like that." And this is a post Matrix world that I was a big fan of. I'm still a fan of the original Matrix and how everything looks beautiful in that as, as action scenes go. So I was a little kind of thrown for that. However, realizing what the intention of those scenes are, like you were saying, Justin, that it's supposed to create a certain effect on your own. It's kind of like how the goons would be reacting to it, like of a creature that maybe man may not be just coming out of the darkness and pummeling you to a pulp. So... Makes sense to that. So after he beats up all the goons, Falcone gets back into his limo and tries to arm himself with his little shot-off shotgun. Does not work. Questions, what the hell are you? Batman comes through his sunroof. He rips him out and says, I'm Batman. Clocks him in the head. I always find it funny because earlier on when they were designing the Batsuit amongst Alfred and, Bat- and Bruce, they said like the cowls that they bought 
were kind of defective and they would break rather easily. So, like, the next 10,000 would be fine. And, like, and he headbutts this Falcone. Like, how bad would it be? Like, that's one of the defective head uh, cows. And he clocks him and it just breaks. Like, whoop. Thank God you're uh, knocked out because you know who I am at this point. And he strings him up against the spotlight, and that's how they get the bat symbol to begin with. I'm sorry. His face would be, like, melting off him if he was attached to a spotlight like that. Yeah, you think you have sunburn. Yeah! I mean... And, My God. I mean, and, they, and it's, like, the gritty, down-to-earth things that could happen. I'm like, well, no, he'd be kind of smelted right there, and he uh, could possibly be on fire. After that, the plot uh, catches up with the movie when the microwave emitter, a, a Gotham uh, piece of tech that is stolen off a uh, ship, and I did not mean to say it like uh, the uh, wheelchair uh, joke from the IT crowd. And this weapon is meant to eradicate a a person's water supply, which I always question. Somebody's poisoned the the water water hole. hole. Thank you. Thank you, Woody. That, all right, so it's to destroy an enemy's water supply and everything. But what are humans 70% of? Water. <laughs> I was going to say traction. <laughs> like, like, should, like, just people, like, evaporate like that? Like, or at least their organs start to, like, fall apart? But, I mean, that's, like, the only, like, kind of, like, question I have for this the, this machine. is The machine is a MacGuffin that gets the movie going at, at this point, And you don't know why it was... Water. Thank you for that slurping noise, sir. It was much appreciated that you're hydrated here. Well, yeah, I'm 70% water. Yeah, you're probably like 71%. That's it. <laughs> um, and so, Batman continues to have his... Uh, <laughs> his fight. His water. His water. He takes a drink. Uh, we, uh, we forgot to mention the scene, the swear to me scene, when he uh, Batman interrogates Flass. And we have the, the really extreme Batman voice. What do you think about that moment where he's holding Flash upside down in the rain, trying to figure out where uh, the drugs are going? <laughs> where were the other drugs going? Yes. I mean, the, the the Batman voice in this movie, like I said, a little less goofy, but it's still, you wish there was some sort of modulator or something that would prevent him from sounding the way he does so that idiots on the internet could make fun of it for years and years and years and years to come. Um, Because that's all you hear now is impressions of Bale's Batman. And then people apply that to every iteration of Batman um, and just kind of retcon the whole thing. But it's a great line. Swear to me. It's a great line. And the only way that I could really see this, them improving this is if, if Flash was eating (laughs) while being, Hung up. Still eating. It goes to the narrows. I swear to God. <laughs> swear to me. And then give me a bite of that. Hum. I like fluffle. <laughs> Drops him <laughs> off in the zip line. And then Batman also takes another sip of his water. Yes. I don't get why people hate the Batman voice or, or make fun of it as much as they do. Yes, it's... Because there's not much else to hate about these movies. Yeah. Yeah, that's true. We'll, we'll, we'll get the rises and we'll start pointing out some problems, but... Well... Listen, I'll throw you off a plane. I mean, well, 
terrified of you. Oh, one of us is getting thrown I'll do up. it. Yeah, little figures throwing people off planes. Oh, man, when you texted me that a couple of weeks ago, that that was the same guy. Uh, that opened like, oh, yeah, open, like, like a third eye right like there. The like the John Stewart mind blown gif. <laughs> um, yeah, when I when I first started hearing about people making fun of the Batman voice, I'm like, what is wrong with you people? <laughs> what is wrong, wrong with you people? What's wrong with you people? You see, like that's how you should have questioned. That. I mean. Look, I, I get it. it's gruff. It's definitely, you know, I mean, strange, but it's a, it's a superhero movie, and he's got to disguise his voice somehow. Right. I mean, I, I just don't know what people were really expecting mm. from that when, when they, I mean... If that if that's your biggest criticism about the movie is how Batman talks when he's Batman, then I I think you missed the point of this movie. Yeah, I mean, you think of like Kevin Conroy, who did, distinctly has a Bruce Wayne voice and a Batman voice, which was much more subtle. Like even Michael Keaton had like a little bit, like he had a little bit of a lower register when he was Batman when he was Bruce Wayne. I mean, I think because it was such it was such an extreme in this movie, and it just got progressively, arguably worse when it came to Dark Knight Rises, where it just kind of like it doubled down on some people what they would call silly, and so people just became assholes about it. Yeah, but I wouldn't call it silly. I would. Where's just... the trigger? Where is it? I I, I just think that's. Christian Bale's just interpretation of how the character would speak. Mm -hmm. He's trying to keep his identity secret um, through whatever way possible. And if if it means his voice has to do a complete 180 on itself, then so be it. To be honest, I really like how they do it in um, The Flash and Arrow where they just have a digital... um, Modulator, which you like to it. Ben Affleck's uh, Batman has the same thing, yeah, so it, it makes more I, sense. I feel like that's done so that people, people don't have to yeah. criticize any differences in, in, in the voice. Definitely seems like a conscious choice on the yeah. creator's part. Would people accept a Batman movie where Batman just talks in falsetto? Or like, uh, <laughs> or like Christopher Walken. Where were the other I drugs I going? going. <laughs> Swear to me. Bruce Wayne, why are you dressed up like Batman? Because he is Batman, you moron. Was. Sorry. So, Batman goes to the Narrows because that's where the drugs are going. Finds an apartment. We see little uh, King... Joffrey before he was a little before he became a to- he was a nice kid before he became a giant douche so um, why Batman didn't throw him off a balcony then but I mean that's so many people are dead in Game of Thrones because of Batman so him being set on fire by Scarecrow moments later is his penance for letting Joffrey live that got real dark fast well I guess what right, I guess that, that joke went up in flames what time is it I have to go to bed <laughs> 
your your feelings on how Scarecrow's introduced here with the fear toxin and such and the mask to well, Batman because we did see him earlier talking to Falcone who scares him. Well, Scarecrow in general, he reminds me of two things. Um, well, more so Jonathan Crane. Okay. Than Scarecrow. Um, if you say like a Scarecrow, like well, <laughs> yes, okay. Well, there's this movie, The Wizard of Oz. Um, I mean, if only he had a brain. No, he, uh, he reminds me of two things. He... <laughs> I'm he no more than anything else that we said. Oh, yes. Oh, oh yes. I wish I had popcorn now. It's more so when, when he speaks. He makes me want soup. I really... What was your food association whenever you're on a podcast? I really crave soup when he's speaking. And I don't know why. <laughs> Maybe I'm afraid of Superman. <laughs> That'd be great if Superman had it like a soup endorsement. No, I'm not gonna do fight with the Google search with that. Imagine if his name was Clark Campbell. <laughs> or Progresso, Clark Progresso. What else does he remind you of? Uh, he reminds me of Aaron Hollander. Our friend from college? Yes. You're going to have to elaborate just a little bit to the listeners at home. Yeah, he just reminds me of Aaron Hollander. He does look like him. If Aaron Hollander were ever eating soup, then that would... That there then would be... Superman? Yeah. <laughs> All right, then. So, Batman... <laughs> Sorry, I'm sorry to take this podcast into the proverbial narrows. Yeah. So Batman goes into the apartment to investigate, uh, runs into more goons with Scarecrow in tow, who uses fear toxin on him, sets him on fire, and tosses him out a window. Batman puts himself out, stops up and rolls all his <laughs> way down to the pavement. It's a good thing he watched those videos in kindergarten. I mean, yeah, I mean, he thought those things were a joke, but it worked. Yeah. Um, and so calls Alfred in a crazed state to have him pick up, get picked up. So I wonder, well, you know, it's like he's driving Bruce home in the Rolls Royce. Like, so did Alfred drive the Rolls to the Narrows and somehow got out with not being like fucking carjacked? I mean, you have do you have a crazy person mumbling to himself in a bat suit in the back seat? I mean, maybe you probably don't want to deal with that. So you're like, you know what? Let's let the old man leave. Let the Wookiee win and everything. And, uh... how, how did how did Alfred lift up Batman? That's what I want to know. Or drag him to the the Bat uh, Mobile or the Royce. See, that would have been the Batmobile in the 1940s serials. Yes. <laughs> yes. And why wasn't he wearing a, a bat cowl over his glasses like in the 60s movie? Uh, so, year, a couple days go by and Fox synthesized an antidote to the fear toxin that he gives to Bruce. Bruce goes back to Arkham Asylum to investigate it because that's where it was kind of ending up. At the same time, Rachel is investigating Jonathan Crane and his practices at Arkham Asylum. He gasses a... Uh, uh, Rachel Dawes, after he shows her his diabolical plan of pouring, pouring the liquid ver- liquid version of this fear toxin into the pipes that's going into Gotham City. That's just soup. So, Batman shows up, 
And we have this, this very strange line delivery from Jonathan Crane. What is it? The Batman. Like, it was such an awkward line delivery that was, like, in all the trailers. So you're like, uh, okay, let's, uh, let's, uh, hum and hum and let's Bart time. Oof, oof. It's reminiscent of that the red capes are coming. That well, really weird delivery. Yeah, but how, and reason, it was in all the trailers. Yeah, but somehow, for, for some reason, I am okay with that more than... Because he... Because at least that Lex Luthor is so kind of perplexing and kind of out there personality-wise, while John the Crane is very cool and collected, it just seems very out of character for Crane to say that. However, that... If, Iteration of Luther, I'm like, all right, he's kind of a strange duck. Well, maybe when you've had that much soup and all the sodium is, is you know. And so Batman starts taking down goons from the rafters and dragging them up and knocking them out in the shadows. And something I kind of realized, and I wonder if this is kind of like how it kind of an influence on the Arkham games that would come out a few years later, which they had takedowns very similar like that. I wonder if this is an influence. So gets Crane. Gives him his, a taste of his own medicine, and he starts to see Demon Batman, which is kind of creepy because he has black pus coming out of his mouth at this point. Um, Don't quantify the pus. The pus just is. is. Wow. When was the last time we made that reference? I know I made it a couple of times ago that I saw you. Okay. Um, yeah. Uh, more Oswego jokes that come up. Uh, Arkham Asylum is surrounded by cops. Gordon goes in to give uh, Batman assistance, and Batman calls for backup, and has the most like probably one of the most iconic scenes in the movie where all the bats show up to freak out all the SWAT members in this, and they, Batman escapes. Gordon carries out Rachel. So, all right, I'll get my car. I brought mine, yours, and Batmobile races off, and car chase ensues. How do you guys feel about this car chase and the escape from Arkham? I really liked it, and it starts out with a great line by um, Gary Oldman, where right after what you said, when that car rolls by, and he just cuts back to Jim, and he just goes, I gotta get me one of those. <laughs> and then you see this car chase back through golf, through that. Golfing? Through, They're golfing? Through Gotham. <laughs> yeah, through Gotham. Um... And it's really the first time we see Batman against the cops. Yeah, in live action anyway. Yeah. But, I mean, we see it a little bit in Batman Returns when they believe Batman killed oh, the Ice Princess. I, I was just talking specifically in this movie. Oh, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Sorry. Um, because, you know, we... One of the subplots in the movie throughout is um, how everyone in Gotham that's not a criminal, is reacting to a vigilante mm. trying to clean up well, clean up the city, but they don't really know what his intentions truly are. Yeah. So you, you see this scene in the movie, and it really creeps out Alfred as well, the, the, the chase, mm. um, about what, Bruce is actually trying to do. Right. And Bruce just kind of laughs it off and just say, it's all in good fun. I'm just trying to get away. It was pretty entertaining as well. Damn good TV. <laughs> Damn good TV. To quote the movie uh, verbatim. Mm. 
but it it really brings up that question you know how what's the line you draw at um what's acceptable for a vigilante to do and and what is it and at, at what point do you almost become the villain yourself despite not trying to be the villain right um and chris your feelings on the chase and the escape from Arkham. I love all of the vehicle moments in these movies. I think they're very, very slickly done. I like, I like the sights and sounds of the tumbler, you know, as it, you know, in action. It, it's very visually appealing. Um, and I like how functional it is and how rugged it is. That's one of the things I like about it. It's rugged. You know, you're not worried. I, you know, if I was driving the '89 Batmobile, I, I wouldn't want to, you know, make a scratch on that thing. It's so no. beautiful. But the tumbler, it's like, who cares? You'll just bang it into things and right. just run through things. It's named the tumbler. It's not named like something fanciest. This job, the job of this, this car is to tumble around and just fuck shit up. It'll tumble for you. It is very rough and tumble, you know, out there and such. So, uh, yeah. And I believe there's there's even a special there's even a special laptop built in where you can write fan fiction. <laughs> uh, I hear a lot of the vehicles on the Arrow have that equipped as well. <laughs> I mean, it's that, a vehicle for that show, you know. That's where all. Hey, Tim, you look good. Oh, yeah, for once. It, 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 it takes it it's takes funny. twice. I, that's the first time I've ever said that. Oh! But I, I currently cannot see him. <laughs> ah, whoa. Yeah. So, my feelings on the uh, Tumblr chasing. Uh, I'll never get tired of seeing cars flip <laughs> in, in movies like seeing like flip and tumble over each other. I just love Blues Brothers. Yeah, I mean, I love Blues Brothers. I love used cars. and uh, But I do not like the Fast and Furious movies, but I know it's rather bass backwards like that. However, like, when the... What? Bass fishing? Uh, I mean, the moment where, like, Batman throws down, like, these kind of, uh, like, almost, like, almost look like ch- children's jacks on the, fl- on, on the road behind him, and all the cop cars who do not notice him tumble over each other uh, because of it. And then Batman reaches a dead end at, at the lower part of, like, uh, Gotham. And he does, like, a 180. And I love how the car goes in one direction and the camera rotates in the opposite direction. So they're both rotating at different uh, different axes. And you're like, whoa, that was pretty cool. We see the miniature version of it, like, kind of jumping from rooftop to rooftop. We see how the, the propulsion thing in the back is really helpful as it actually does as a bridge jumper. And it culminates with the fact that Rachel at the time is taking such a concentrated dose of the fear toxin given by Scarecrow that she is uh, falling into almost total madness. They're trying to get back. Batman's trying to get her back to the Batcave as quick as possible. He has that moment where he screams Rachel and he guns it through the waterfall into the Batcave. Thank God Alfred was not admiring the waterfall then. It's like, oh, that's actually really nice. Holy shit! And splits Alfred into two pieces because he's going so fast. 
I mean, well, Michael Caine. My, I mean, it's hard to get good help, and like when they ask him, like, what happened to Alfred? He's like, ah, oh, he had to split. So, uh, <laughs> all right, all right. So, gives her the antidote. Are you happy with yourself? Oh, well, I'm immensely. <laughs> I'm immensely happy with my jokes. I sleep beautifully because of it. I know. Um, turns out that Henry Ducard, Lee Meeson was Ray Shark Girl the whole time. The whole time? The, the, whole, the, the whole time? Miranda? You, how did you know that I had that planned for this moment? When we... Because, like, we're just intrinsically like that. That's very true. I mean, hell, I mean, one time we were back at Suffolk when... We brought up Elvis once, and we both jumped into the same exact t- song without any cue whatsoever. And that's like the only, that's like the first time we ever, Elvis ever came up in a conversation before. So, it's a little less conversation. Fucker. So this is how it feels like. That's how Batman would say. So that's what it feels like. To be on the other end of a bad pun. So Rachel Girls uh, back from the dead. It says he's gonna purge Gotham because using all the use uh, the microwave emitter that stole that was stolen earlier with all the fear toxins has been in the pipes of Gotham City and Gotham's gonna tear itself apart, starting from the narrows, working the way out, using the monorail system that Thomas Wayne started uh, building years ago and perfected. Burns down Wayne Manor. Batman gives chase, stops the monorail, stops. Uh, Ray Ghoul by beating the shit out of him. And he says, I have to kill you, but I don't have to save you. At the same time, Jim Gordon has sabotaged the monorail before it reaches the epicenter of Wayne Tower, where all the water is goes to. Rachel Ghoul dies. Rachel finds out that Bruce Wayne is Batman. Scarecrow's tased in the face. Becomes taser face, like having Guardians of the Galaxy 2 joke. Ha <laughs> ha um, And Batman realizes, you know what? I can't be Batman and be with you. No, no. Well, Rachel says, like, this is your... Batman is your real self. Bruce Wayne is the mask. Gordon uh, thanks Batman. Says Somebody never- stop it. <laughs> yes. And we find out there's a Joker card left at scenes at, the, uh, at certain crimes is happening. And escalation is occurring. And that's how the movie ends. I wish I was in the theater to experience when that Joker card came out. It was pretty magical. I remember the first time I watched. I remember the first time I had a Krabby Patty, too. (laughs) Have you no shame? No! (laughs) Remember, like, remember when, um, Zach came up to visit us in Oswego and they asked us, when he said, like, do you know what the thing is about you guys? You guys have no shame. And that was the perfect way to describe the Oswego group. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah! Yeah. In the words of Dan I. Not Dan I, oh, Dan Singh. Wow, Dan I. Wrong Dan. Apologize. Dan, I was, it was on my mind early in the day. That's why I came up. Apologies. Aye, aye. Not, not, not the worst Dan I pun I've heard. No. We were in a class together in Oswego, and our professor goes, Dan, you should have your own, like, news opinion show, and you could call it The Eyes Have It. There's something really sharp inside there's a system to stab myself in the eyes because of that joke. Ah, the eyes. <laughs> you didn't see that one coming, did you? I did. <sighs> I tried to look away. So, your feelings on Batman Begins after the first time you've watched it. After the first time I watched it, well, I probably went nuts and probably 
smash a vase and say, let's get nuts. <laughs> <laughs> like jumped on my grandfather's hospital bed. No, I, I mean, I probably was kicking myself and putting myself on like a Rachel-esque guilt trip for not having seen the movie sooner. I don't remember the time frame that I saw it, but it... <laughs> thank you. <laughs> thank you. <laughs> the comedic slap. The, uh, oh, yeah. That second one really does play for comedy. But no, I, I mean, it really that it got it brought me back into Batman. Right. Everything involved with Batman. And then from then on, for everything else that's happened since then, I've been right there. To, awaiting it, you know, with bated breath, waiting for the next Batman movie, waiting for the next, you know, whatever is happening. So, this is my favorite Batman movie. I love a good origin story, and I think this is one of the best that we've seen in comic book movies. Mm. Um, this and Spider-Man 2002. I mean, I have such love for both of these movies, and I, I put them in high regard. I've always said... And I heard someone say this on a podcast recently, and this is the way I feel. I love DC, especially Batman, but you know, I love I love DC and Spider Man. Mm. And I like I like the rest of, you know, Marvel and the MCU and everything like that. But Batman and Spider Man, to me, my two favorites. My nephews as well, and that just kinda happened naturally. Again, I guess it's because I had Batman and Spider Man toys, and that's okay. what they played with, but I love Batman and Spider-Man, and to me, those are two really great origin story. You know, Spider-Man 2002. Um, Amazing Spider-Man, good as well. But That's a controversial take. I like the Amazing Spider-Man one. I'm a, big, I'm a fan of that movie. Mm. I like Andrew Garfield. Um, I think he made a great Spider-Man. Yeah. I hate the second movie. Can't stand it. Never want to watch it again. It's funny when you brought up like the the airplane scene here in Batman Begins, and like how like how the in the set for the the part of the plane where they're having that conversation. I just thought like we would see Peter Parker's parents come out like the back end and yeah. get into a Jason Bourne fight and it's gonna be super shaky and they're gonna crash the plane. With no survivors in the words of Dark Knight Rises. But no, I, I love a good origin story. Um I think most people do. Yeah. I mean if it's not if they're done right. There's it's gotten to the point where people are like, alright, enough of the origin stories. But then then the team-ups happened, and then people were like, all right, enough with team-ups. So now I feel we're going back to origin stories. Yeah, I mean, look at we, Wonder Woman. We just got Wonder Woman. Tremendous. Yeah. You know, we're going to get Black Panther. Is that an origin story? or? Uh, I guess you can kind of consider Civil War uh, a little bit, of a, because that's when he fully dons becoming a king of Wakanda at that point. So, And that's always been a big part of his character in the comics. So, But we're also going to get... Aquaman. Yes, you know that's gonna be a, that's gonna be kind of like an origin story. Cause you know, see the relationship between the Earth dwellers and the, I mean, the surface dwellers and the Atlanteans. Yeah, and and Flash. Whenever they get a director, or, yeah. and you know, whenever that movie gets its act together, so I feel like origin stories are going to come back into you know Vogue, Vogue, Strike a Pose. Exactly. <laughs> I, you know, I've actually been listening to, to Madonna a lot this week, so that's that's kind of weird. Really? Why? I like Madonna. What? You're nuts. I understand, like, not being a big fan of her, but not caring her whatsoever. Listen, here's the thing with Madonna. I knew way more of her music than I ever thought I did until I actually went out to seek it out. I'm like, I know this song. I know this. Oh my, I know all this, all of that music embedded within me just from osmosis over the years. You know a lot more Madonna music than you think you do. And it's good. I'm a Madonna fan. 
I like Madonna. I'm touched. Like the first time. <laughs> <laughs> like a virgin. Sorry. Yeah. Uh, oh my god. Yes. So, anyway. how you felt when you, after the first time you oh, watched like it? Like a prayer. <laughs> um. <laughs> this is the company. Oh. I, this is the. This is the company I keep. <laughs> As I said in the the top of the show, there are very few movies out there where the first time I watch it, um, I just want to absorb myself and everything associated with this movie. This is one of the most one of the most perfect movies um, that I can ever remember watching. Um, at least you know the first time through, you know. It's, for me, I think it would be the original Star Wars, Fellowship of the Ring, and Batman Begins in terms of importance um, in my film. Fandom? Not fandom, but just like. Appreciation? Just like um, in terms of. How much they've inspired me to mm. watch other um, types of movies in its genre. Right. Um, because if I had never gotten into the Nolan series, I probably would have never gotten into other Christopher Nolan movies. Or right. I probably would not have gotten into any of the CW um, superhero movies. So... It's a very important film, uh, personally, for me, and um, so many good things about this movie. The cast is tremendous. I love Christian Bale in this. Mm. Um, y- y- if you just look at the cast list alone, Gary Oldman, um, Liam Neeson, Morgan Freeman... Michael Caine. Michael Caine. Michael Caine. Rutger Power and so many more. It's it's just so impressive. It it really is. It's I I can't think of enough good words to to describe it. And um, on the same plane as what you guys are saying that like after the first time I like as I kind of fallen out of Batman fandom a little bit because of like Batman Robin and how. Things were switched up with superhero movies at the time. And then Batman Begins kind of got me back into Batman. I was so thankful for it. And then, like, the following year, like, Superman Returns. Like, hey, I can I can become kind of back into Superman. Superman Returns. Hey. We'll get to that eventually. Uh, he does look like a cousin. Yeah. <laughs> it wasn't a return to form, that's for sure, when it came to that. But, and it's something that... I realized this is the reason why I one like this is my favorite live action comic book movie. It's not my favorite comic book movie. Batman Mask the Phantasm is still my favorite comic book movie altogether. And my number two is this. And there's a reason a lot of people say like, oh, the Dark Knight's the better of the two of the of the these two movies or all three movies. They say and I know people who say there was a first Dark Knight movie and the, and you don't know like, yeah, Batman Begins came before. And that's I'm not gonna like some people are outright ignorant. Some people just didn't know because, it, like, it didn't become the Dark Knight trilogy until Dark Knight Rises like made that moniker official. So, 
And the reason why I love this movie is the same reason why I love A New Hope, Star Wars New Hope the most. It's like, if there never was a sequel, I'd be okay with it. It would be unfortunate because we never got to see The Dark Knight. We never got to see Heath Ledger as Joker. However, it was a completed story, beginning, middle, and evil was defeated. Their story could theoretically continue on, but we don't need to see it. It'd be perfect. Sure. I know you have an I issue. Disagree with, I gotta disagree with that because of the Joker card setting up the second movie. That's why I would say it's really not complete with just this movie. No, but like like Batman would go on and have many adventures. He's had over nearly seventy five he's had over seventy five years of adventures. I mean I could say like yeah. Like, oh, that could have been like, hey, we saw a penguin hat or a penguin at a crime scene. Like, yeah, sure, it could be any criminal right there. Granted, it was the catalyst once this movie was a success to have a sequel. The Joker would be the obvious choice. But if I never got a chance to see it, like, sure, I'd be like, damn, I would love to have seen it. However, I, I wouldn't have been like, say, if like, Empire Strikes Back was a failure. And like, you never got the chance to see Return of the Jedi. Yeah, that, that happened. It was called uh, the Pirates of the Caribbean trilogy. Yeah, or Amazing Spider-Man 2, where that had so many dangly clauses they never got paid off because of reboots. I think, Tim, what you're trying to say here is, like, if there was never a Back to the Future sequel, and it just ended with the DeLorean flying into the camera off on another adventure, yeah. same thing. You still feel like you got a full movie and you got closure and you got what you came for and that's great and then anything else is just icing on the cake. Same thing with the Matrix. Matrix, beginning, middle, end. Neo flies off at the end. Never needed to see another story. And that was kind of extended into a series. It's kind of like a Back to the Future. However, Back to the Future did it in a much better way. Oh, by far. Yeah. Um, now... Where does this movie stand in kind of Christopher Nolan's filmography for you? That's a good one. I mean, if you want to wait until we've done all with reviews to kind of rank things, but... I know as far as within the Dark Knight, the Dark Knight trilogy, it, it always comes down to Begins and Dark Knight for me and on any given day I could give you one answer I could give you the other answer because mm. it's it's that close it's just two really good films um, I think from a storytelling aspect I think this is a little bit a little better because it's more typical Nolan right with um how he plays with time at the beginning, um, and as you said, beginning, middle, and end. Although, um, I, I would argue that The Dark Knight follows the same way. You have a beginning, you have a middle, and you do have a clear resolution. To yeah, it. but it never jumps at, it never jumps in time. It's always yeah. it is a pure linear that's, movie. That's true. It's very. I think that's, I mean, if you had like a point system and like, you know, a checkbox of, you know, Nolanisms, Nolanisms, I think Begins would tick off all those boxes. Right. So I, I guess, you know, by some standards, that would make it the better 
film. Mm. Although my argument for Dark Knight is you really have just a virtuoso performance by Heath Ledger in that. Right. And sometimes that's is enough to push it over and make that my favorite film. Mm. For me, my Nolan exposure is limited to these three movies and Inception. Right. Being that this is my favorite Batman movie, this is obviously my favorite Nolan movie. But um, I really liked Inception. Yeah. It's a hell of a film. Mm-hmm. And at some point, I'm sure I'll see some... I'm sure you'll show me other Christopher Nolan. You're always showing me movies. You need to watch The Prestige. Yeah, it's... We've said it before. The Prestige, which he did right after Batman Begins, is our favorite Nolan movie. And it has Christian Bale and Michael Caine in it. So, oh. So it's... Like, it's just right up your alley. Well, then you gotta show it to me. You know, there is actually... It's a thing now where I'm like... You know, I could watch this movie for the first time, or I can just wait until Tim shows it to me. It's an actual thing. As uh, you've actually stopped yourself from seeing a movie because of that. Yeah, there, there, especially if like Schwarzenegger movies or things like that that I haven't seen yet. I'm like, wait for wait for the Tim viewing of that. Of, of I appreciate that, that. I hope I haven't neglected you from seeing a movie that you wanted to for too long. Oh no, like, no, because because here's the thing: you usually. Your your picks are way out of left field for me. So a lot of times I think, oh, he's probably going to show me this, and then come in with something completely different. And I'm like, oh, I don't know if I'm going to like this. And then I wind up loving it. So, but yeah, there are movies that I'm like, hold off on that until Tim. Or there are movies that I want to rewatch. Like I've been dying to watch Ocean's Eleven for like six months, mm. but I'm like, no, I'm going to wait. We're going to watch it with Tim. Well, so I, appreciate that, I I really want to watch Ocean's Eleven really soon now. Um but this is probably my second favorite Nolan movie in his filmography. I think seeing Nolan on a big budget at this point, we get to see like how he became started as the indie filmmaker with following, grew into kind of like his master structure with Memento, being able to take be a hired gun on Insomnia and turn a kind of like okay story into something oh decent. I don't say like it was bad or anything, but like able to elevate the kind of content that was kind of rather cliche or standard for that kind of type and with that kind of thriller. And here he gets to play with all the big toys that Warner Brothers can provide him. He reinvents a character and he kind of changes the Hollywood system for the first time because I know it was probably already in production, but Casino Royale was the following year. And that was a kind of a reboot for James Bond, the 2009, Star Trek reboot, I think, is definitely kind of a post-Nolan reboot of a hard reboot of a, ca- of a series of movies that was done very successfully by J.J. Abrams. And that's something that we have to thank Nolan for. And kind of create a certain aesthetic with this, with James Newton Howard and, How- and Hans Zimmer's score that would become kind of a template for movies and it would become even more so in the next movie. We'll get to that. Um, you look like you want to talk about the music. Oh, no, I was just going to say, and the entire DC television slate yeah. we yes. owe to these movies. Yeah. And probably even a lot of the Marvel television and the Marvel Netflix. Yeah, yes. I can say that. I mean, especially like you're saying like Marvel stuff, like Amazing Spider-Man 1 is definitely a Nolan-inspired movie. Oh, by far, and yeah. Amazing Spider-Man 2 is definitely an Avengers-inspired movie. I think it's one of the reasons why you have a problem with Amazing Spider-Man 2, besides the... Besides the fact that it sucks. 
But yeah, it's it's you if you watch Spider-Man 2002 and Amazing Spider-Man back to back, you're like, "Oh, all right. So Once, this is so this is just Spider-Man Begins then." Pretty much. Wow. I haven't made it sound like that. Like, hell, even Man of Steel is kind of like people say like the first part yeah. of Man of Steel is like Superman Begins because of how it's, it was written by Goyer and had a non-layer story to set up the Clark Kent story uh, uh, origin with his birth on Krypton, his growing up in Smallville, and eventually becoming Superman and defeating Zod in Metropolis. But um, <clears throat> favorite scene and your least favorite scene. Uh, well, I already said my favorite scene is the plane scene with Alfred and Bruce. Right. Uh, my least favorite scene. Hmm. That's tough. Because there's nothing that jumps out at me that I was like, oh, I fucking hate this about any of these movies. Right. Um. Maybe the slap. That's fair. Maybe hey. the slap. Because I feel it plays for comedy and it's out of place in this movie. Hmm. And I'm not saying this movie is devoid of comedy. There's a lot no, of quips. And but not that kind of comedy. No. It, it seems a little contrived. Yeah. But, um... I don't think that was in, in, its intent, but that's how it always plays for me. Mm-hmm. Maybe, you know, maybe if Maggie Gyllenhaal was slapping him, it would it would come off as... Yeah. <laughs> the way it was intended. Right. Damn you, Katie Holmes. <laughs> I think my favorite scene here is, um... When... Rachel Ghoul and um, young Bruce are training on that uh, that icy lake, mm. and f- like three or four times, he just kicks Bruce's ass, uh-huh. and then finally, towards the end, um, Bruce knocks him down and kind of starts taunting him, and then. Uh, he sacrificed just, yeah, he, uh, Rachel Gu just goes, he sacrificed your, your sure floating for a killing stroke, and then just hits his sword on the ice, and Bruce falls right through it. Mm-hmm. And then they have a, like, a really deep conversation after that about, um, the ideas of their, justice and vengeance. And his daughter is right after that, too, where he talks about, um, we'll find out in the third movie is Tali Al Ghul. Mm. Um and it kind of sets that up. So I I just think there's this really emotional kind of like father son relationship that the movie is building up between them. And it kind of makes the um the first time you watch it it kind of makes uh Bruce's decision to say no to the League of Shadows or Assassin, whatever they call it in in this um Continuity. iteration of the universe. It kinda makes it that much more shocking because the first half movie of this uh the first half hour of this movie is all just like the strengthening of that relationship. Mm. It's Ant Man. <laughs> There's a insect crawling across the floor here. Sir. Yeah. Ugh. Sorry, folks. Uh, go on. <laughs> and your angry eyes, just in case. You uncultured swine. <laughs> what are you looking at, you <laughs> hockey puck? <laughs> <laughs> oh, I'm going to watch Toy Story now. Check. 
<laughs> oh boy. So yeah, uh, and your least favorite scene? You were so d- distracted by this bug, you forgot I just wrapped up that entire. You didn't say your least favorite scene. Oh, oh here, here's my least favorite scene. There is no least favorite scene. All right then. <laughs> um, uh, my favorite scene in the movie is probably, like I said before, is the Falcone and young Bruce Wayne meeting. <sighs> And that conversation they had and how it sets up of what fear can theoretically do to a person and what it can do to a city. And I just love that love Tom Wilkes' performance and Christian Bale, even though he's like kind of like the dog in the scene because he doesn't have that much to do. And my least favorite scene is probably when Scarecrow is taken out by Rachel Dawes by with being tased in the face and he kind of just rides off into this, the – dragged off into the darkness with the taser still going off in his face. Because I love Killing Murphy and I love the character of Scarecrow, and it seems kind of shitty that he gets taken out like that. But then again, that's like me being nitpicky. It's not, it doesn't ruin the movie me whatsoever. But um, so that's me. If I was going to find a problem, that was what it would be. Now, final thoughts on Batman Begins. Tremendous, fantastic, yeah. oh. amazing, so good, <laughs> Chris. Sorry, I'm playing with the bug. <laughs> Go on, finish up the show. <laughs> it's it's my favorite Batman movie. I love it. It's great. Um, <laughs> it's good. Okay, then. All right. We're just kinda, it's getting late here, folks. We're getting a little slap happy here. Um, and I concur with these two. That it is just fantastic. I mean, it is... The best live-action Batman movie, I think, bar none. I will get into the reasons why I think The Dark Knight is an inferior film next time. Ooh. Uh, Yeah, I mean, because it's not a Batman movie. It's a movie not about Batman. This movie is definitely about Batman. second one is not about Batman. He's in this movie. He is a a background character in his own movie because he's overshadowed by the the philosophical uh, dynamic between Joker and Two-Face. I'll get to that later. Because because Joker is the, the Black Knight. Batman is the Dark Knight, and he's the middle of the gamut between the White Knight, Black Knight. Yes, <laughs> I mean, and I'll get to that in more detail later. <laughs> and it's that's not Christian Bale's fault or anything like that. Just he had a great performance, but it's not a Batman movie. He is it is not a movie about Batman. Batman's in it, but it's not about Batman. That's my biggest problem with that. That's why I enjoy uh, like Rises is kind of about Batman again, kind of like how Batman begins is. Batman v Superman is an exploration of how Batman's uh, uh, problems with uh, dealing with Superman and being xenophobic. Anyway, now if people want to follow you on social media, Chris, where can they find you? (laughs) (laughs) That was that was that was special. Yeah, that was incredible. I cannot wait to do this next one. Yeah. Um, um, yeah, I'm just going to speed through it. But like, like, like the Micro Machines guy. That's oh, how, yeah. That, like that, oh. That's how I'll speak the next episode. Wow. Yeah. I'm looking a, forward to that. It'll be a 40-minute episode. That's how fast it'll be. 40 minutes is fast. <laughs> yes, comparatively to how we usually do, yeah. But, uh, but yeah, um, follow at Music of the Mat on Twitter if you like music and you like wrestling, and you like when those things intersect and coagulate. Wow, good word use. I like that word. Yeah. See, I, I use that a lot more than I can use traction or what gallivant. About, well, what about Galavan? Uh, I mean, or Galahad. Galavan. He he was. Uh, was he in this season of Gotham? No, he was in last season of Gotham. 
He was all right. Yeah. He was a he was a guy. Yeah. He, he he did a thing. Yeah, he did. Justin, you can follow me on Twitter at Justin Cirillo. It's spelled C I R I L L O. Um, usually tweeting about sports most of the time. Yes. Uh, currently tweeting about uh, season three of Flash, season five of Arrow, and season two of Legends of Tomorrow as I rapidly catch up on all three of them at the same time. Um, and occasionally tweet about our uh, tremendous, terrific president of the United States. Oh, yeah. Uh, Sarcasm dripping. Yes, yes, just... Oozing. Tremendous. Sorry. Sad. It's huge. <laughs> it's fake ooze. Yeah, it's, yeah. I mean, it's, uh, it's covered in kofefe. That's what, that's what that ooze is covered with. Um, <laughs> see, like, I wouldn't be, I wouldn't be mad if I he was my... I wish I would our president. Yeah, see, he, I could get behind that ruler. I mean, just throw it in your faces. Anyway, if you want to follow me on Twitter, you can follow me at TimothyRooney2. Follow me on Instagram, TRooney1012. My YouTube and Facebook page are on the same banner of Through the Lens Productions, where my latest short film, Cat Call, is up. And there's going to be plenty more coming from there. So hope to be finding you there. Subscribe there if you enjoy that stuff. And uh, I hope everybody's enjoyed this review of Batman Begins and continuing our, our exploration of Christopher Nolan's movies. Stay tuned. We have uh, Dakota and I are starting our Justice League uh, animated series of reviews. And uh, Nikki and I are starting like our movies, uh, uh, reviews on horror movies, uh, especially the remakes in the early 2000s. And a previous guest is coming back to talk about his and I's top 15 favorite horror movies. And if you enjoyed our review of a certain Ben Affleck movie, I think you'll enjoy this. So stay tuned, guys. Chris, Justin, thank you guys for being a part of this. Thank you for having me and inviting me on this podcast so I can use the word traction. And you're happy being had? Is that what you're saying? I'm happy to be had. <laughs> Thank you for having us, Tim. Always a pleasure. Sometimes. I was just saying, that doesn't seem sound genuine. <laughs> <laughs> That's just, just sarcastic as you saying you like Trump. I hope you'll see it my way. <laughs> hope everyone's enjoyed this review of Batman Begins, and we'll talk to you soon. Anything went. <laughs>